Hello, and welcome to Macro Minutes. During each episode, we'll be joined by RBC Capital Markets experts to provide high conviction insights on the latest developments in financial markets and the global economy. Please listen to the end of this recording for important disclosures. Um, Hi, everybody, and welcome to the November 8th edition of Macro Minutes called Where's Terminal? Um, So all year, market pricing for terminal rates in most countries has been a moving target and uh, one directional higher. Uh, Last week, the Fed signaled a slower pace of rate hikes, but a terminal value that was higher than their previous forecast. Uh, Luckily, uh, the market was already pricing in more uh, hikes compared to the Fed dots, and most asset markets uh, took the uh, surprise in stride. Uh, So IG credit spreads, they're narrower, uh, high yield is a little bit wider, uh, equities have recovered most of their losses from uh, FOMC day, and bond yields are uh, just a touch higher. Uh, the one asset class uh, that moved the most, and maybe uh, unexpectedly, uh, was the dollar, uh, which sold off uh, quite sharply at the end of last week. Uh, to make sense of what's going on in macro and financial markets, I'm joined today by uh, Simon uh, to discuss the Canada outlook and uh, the terminal rate in Canada, uh, Peter on the potential terminal rate in the UK and Europe, Daria on the FX market, and Lori uh, for views on the equity market. Um, So with that, uh, over to Simon to kick it off on Canada. Thanks, Jason. Hi, everyone. Uh, So almost two weeks ago, the Bank of Canada hiked 50 basis points. Uh, That was in line with our expectation, but versus consensus of 75 and market pricing, leaning towards 75 as well. Um, Emphasis was on slowing growth in in the associated NPR. Uh, so, for example, the bank sees zero growth, uh, roughly zero growth from Q4 this year through Q2 2023, uh, and this even uh, led them to suggest that negative growth is, is as likely as positive growth, so really as close as the central bank will get to forecasting a recession uh, before you're in one. Uh, and really this slowing in growth they see leading to a better balance between su- aggregate supply and aggregate demand and moderating inflation pressures down the road. So, for example, um, their Q4 2023 headline inflation forecast in their projection went from 3.2% in July to 2.8% just two weeks ago. A lot of attention on uh, Canadian dollar in the lead-up. It's partially because uh, the governor was speaking on it um, earlier in October. Uh, Generally, uh, CAD has... um, definitely depreciated against the U.S. dollar, but performed better on the crosses. And currently, uh, the level for CAD is about $0.74 U.S., and that's right what they had in the NPR. So currently, it's it's, uh, factored in uh, into their latest projections, and we'll kind of see where it goes from here. Uh, On inflation as well, just in terms of the near-term drivers for policy decisions, so for example, in December, would highlight that their headline inflation forecast is 7.1 for the quarter as a whole for Q4, and that's versus 6.9 at the September. So they're not projecting a a deterioration or a slowing in inflation very near term, so we don't think that they're highly sensitive to headline inflation there, although they will be sensitive to inflation pressures, of course. And really, the governor left things very open-ended on the December meeting, uh, emphasizing that there was more tightening to come, uh, so implying more hikes to come, but um, keeping it very clearly, uh, no bias between 25 and 50. Uh, The market initially was more leaning to 25 basis points, uh, but has shifted more towards 50 uh, following the jobs data last Friday, the, the strong jobs data on Friday. 
Uh, we, we noted kind of going into the October meeting that for anywhere from 4% to 450 was likely with a 50 basis point hike in October. I still think that makes sense. Our base case remains a uh, final 25 at the December meeting and 4% terminal, so at the lower end of that 4 to 4.5 range. For the jobs data specifically, large gain, uh, really unwind, so it was a plus 108, largely unwinds job losses over the summer. Uh, unemployment rate was steady at 5.2%, so very low historically, uh, as the participation rate did recover from a decline recently. Wage growth remains an issue, uh, so around 5.5% in the latest data, though that's above the kind of 4 to 5% we see in other measures. And the overall message, really, that we're getting is that the labor market is tight. And also, uh, just to highlight, we will look for more details on the bank's view on this with Governor Macklem speaking on the labor market on November 10th. And with that, that's it for me, and I'll flip it back to Jason. Okay, thank you, Simon. Uh, always informative. Uh, next up is myself, and I'm going to discuss uh, three topics, the Fed, uh, Canada-U.S. spreads, and the curve. Um, so as I mentioned in the intro, Powell uh, told us last week uh, that the Fed uh, prepared the hike in smaller increments, but that the terminal rates are probably higher than their last round of uh, dots. Um, if you recall, back in September, they were looking for 4.4% this year and 4.6% next year. Um, so even though the market's uh, peak uh, Fed pricing uh, was already 50 basis points higher uh, than what the Fed was thinking, uh, terminal rate pricing uh, has edged up about 10 basis points, and the peak has been pushed out uh, from May uh, to July. Uh, based on you know, what we heard uh, from Powell, uh, we have revised our Fed funds forecast higher. Uh, previously, it looked for 50 basis points in uh, December and 25 in January, and the terminal rate around uh, 4.5 to 475. And our new forecast now looks for 50 in December, 50 in February, and 25 in March, so a terminal rate of 5 to 5 and a quarter. Um, lastly, um, you know, the higher terminal rate uh, does uh, increase our conviction that the Fed could undertake uh, corrective rate cuts in the second half of 2023. Uh, so this would not be um, a traditional large-scale easing cycle, but rather um, you know, a function of possible uh, over-tightening, uh, whereby rates could be reduced from uh, a very restrictive level to a less restrictive, uh, but still above neutral uh, setting. Uh, the other noteworthy uh, development uh, last week was Canada uh, underperformance versus Treasuries. Um, you know, so the underperformance ranged from 15 to uh, 18 basis points across the curve. And during this period, uh, Canada Terminal was actually repriced uh, higher by 20 basis points on the back of the payroll report, and that was more than uh, what occurred uh, in the U.S. Um, so the move across um, market bond spreads is roughly consistent with what happened to terminal rate differential pricing. And currently, uh, we're sitting at a Canada-U.S. Uh, terminal rate gap uh, in the market of around 60 basis points. And we think it could be anywhere from 50 uh, to 100 going forward. Our point forecast is uh, closer to the uh, 100 basis point area. So from a fundamental perspective, um, I'm inclined to chase uh, the move over the past few days. And instead, I would look for opportunities for Canada-U.S. spreads uh, to drift closer uh, back to the lows. Um, lastly, I wanted to touch on the curve. Um, it seems like the market is biased um, to getting into steepener trades at some point. I do want to stress that historically, uh, steepeners in twos fives or twos tens, uh, these only work when an easing cycle is starting uh, to unfold. Um, so it seems way too early to have this trade on now, as the risks are still skewed to more flattening as growth and inflation start to weaken and with central banks uh, probably keeping uh, rates uh, on hold, at least through the first half of next year. 
Uh, but based on our uh, forecasts, uh, we do think the Fed could do some corrective cuts in the second half of next year. Uh, but we also think that the Bank of Canada is probably on hold in 2023. Uh, so a lower beta and possibly a better risk-reward trade uh, could be U.S. steepeners uh, paired with uh, CAD uh, flatteners. Um, with that, um, over to Peter to tell us about uh, the U.K. and Europe. Yeah, thank you, Jason. Um, as you said, uh, what I plan is I quickly want to speak about the ECB and the Bank of England and the respective terminal rates there, how it's priced and how to trade it. I would start with the ECB, and, and maybe the first thing to say is that um, obviously the ECB two weeks ago hiked rates 75 basis points again. Um, and the message that was given in the press conference uh, was relatively dovish. However, um, after the press conference, the hawks on the ECB Council came out um, in quite quite significant force to push back against the implied market pricing. And what happened is that the terminal rate, which at the time, um, just after the meeting, stood roughly speaking between 250 and 275, was pushed back higher to stand currently um, north of 3%, just a tad below 325. And that's actually the good indication for the range where we've been in over the last three months, somewhere between, let's call it 250 and 325, so a 75 basis point range. Now, for us, the question has always been, um, where is the ECB going in terms of neutral? Because that's the only communicated um, point that they have given, that they want to go to neutral. And it's very unclear where that is. The only sort of numerical figure that was given by some of the ECB speakers is 2%, so clearly significantly below uh, where the market is pricing. Um, and then any indications that they might go beyond that, um, and we have very little. The only thing that we recently had um, just over the weekend was from one of the ECB um, centrists, um, French Banque de France Governor Villeroy, who said that the ECB should keep hiking until core inflation starts falling, which he expects would happen somewhere in Q1 next year. So how does that square up um, what is priced in, what has been communicated with our view? We think that the ECB will slow down, just um, as the Fed will, um, to 50 basis point steps in December and then 25 basis point steps early next year. We think that they will probably get to somewhere around 250 um, by the end of Q1. By that time, we should have seen headline inflation peak, probably core inflation as well. The ECB then being at a level that probably is at the top end of neutral, potentially even beyond that, and the economy most likely going to be in a pretty deep recession, at which point we think the ECB will start, um, will start to, to wait um, and see how the economy is unfolding. That means, in our view, that if you are roundabout current levels, 325-ish implied at the terminal rate, you can start receiving again. But really, I mean, given that we're not too far away from where we think we ultimately end up, um, there's only about a 50 basis point range that you can really play. Um, and therefore, um, we would probably think that this is a sideways market in which you have to, um, uh, in which you have to position both ways. Now, turning over to the Bank of England, the Bank of England has also hiked interest rates by 75 basis points, but has given a very um, different message. They have said very clearly that they um, would not expect to hike rates to what is priced or was priced in at the time when they done their last forecast round, which was 525. Uh, so they have implicitly um, 
told the market where they would see a cap um, on the terminal rate. Now, the market is currently implying something that's below that, somewhere between 450, 475-ish, um, and uh, has been relatively steady ever since the meeting. So what we think that implies is, first of all, we are below even the current market pricing. So we think that the Bank of England will only go to about 375, and therefore we have shifted um, our exposure um, a little bit further down the curve where there's quite a still um, very steep um, hiking path priced in. So we are long March 23 um, Sonia futures um, to benefit from a reduced terminal pricing and a reduced speed. But also what we think is given that uh, effectively a cap has been announced, that implied volatility should be coming down um, quite a bit, which has happened to some degree already, but we think there's probably more to go. So overall, therefore, we think that both the euro market and the sterling market, and the latterly more so, is probably still priced on the high side, which lends itself um, for small long positions at the front end. And also we expect that eventually uh, the two central banks will be plateauing. We don't expect any cuts as we do for the, uh, for the Fed, um, but at least plateauing as we head into 23. And with that, I hand back to Jason. Okay, great. Thanks a lot, Peter. Great insights as usual. Uh, next up today is uh, Daria to tell us uh, why they're so bullish on the U.S. dollar. Thank you, Jason. So there's two topics that I want to talk about. The first is our view on the dollar and then also address uh, some comments about China given all the headlines that we recently have had about a potential reopening. So if we start with our broad dollar view, we've seen the dollar outperform this year against the rest of G10 and also against most emerging market currencies with a couple of exceptions. And that outperformance in the dollar has come against the backdrop of higher U.S. yields and lower U.S. equities. And given the extent of the rally that we have seen this year so far, and given that we've seen a little bit of a sell-off, from, a pretty significant sell-off in the dollar recently, I think there are two questions that we should be asking. The first is, does the broader rally in the dollar have further room to run? And then second, what do we need to see to have a sustainable turnaround in the dollar to the downside? So for the first question, we still remain bullish on the dollar into next year, and we think that it's premature to be calling a top in the dollar at this juncture. Uh, For the second question, we think that the first condition for a turn in the dollar is that we would need to see a peak in U.S. yields, but that's not the only factor that we should be looking at. So we need to take a look at at, at the U.S. from a relative perspective. So when we look at the U.S. from a relative perspective, even when the Fed finishes hiking rates next year, the U.S. is still likely to have a yield advantage against most other markets in the G10 space. And if that is the scenario that materializes, that would be still supportive of the dollar. And that effectively means that we would need to see more than just a peak in U.S. yields, uh, uh, to see more than just a peak in U.S. yields for a turnaround in the dollar. And in effect, in order for us to see that turnaround, we would need to watch for any signals that the Fed would be cutting rates materially. So the second factor on China, so there's been a lot of, I think, focus on whether China is going to be reopening, whether they're going to be easing the restrictions uh, on COVID. So the view that our strategist on China has is that even though it's fair to expect an easing at some point because of the negative implications that the COVID restrictions have on growth, uh, caution is still warranted because it's not clear when it would happen and how it would happen which I think is important to keep in mind, especially given that recently we've had, I think the market has been trying to find reasons to be bullish on risk. We first had the market focus on the potential Fed pivot and then also on the story around China's reopening. 
And with that, I'll hand it back to Jason. Thank you. Okay, great. Um, thank you very much. Uh, last but not least, um, Lori is going to enlighten us on what the U.S. midterm elections and higher uh, Fed terminal rate means uh, for the equity market. All right. Thanks for having me, everybody. Um, Happy midterm election day for those of you in the U.S. So I'm going to start out with a quick comment on the Fed and U.S. equities, and then I'll talk a little bit more about the election. Um, In terms of the Fed, I will tell you that last week didn't change too much for me personally in terms of how we're thinking about P.E. multiples for the S&P 500. And the idea we've been talking about is really the higher inflation, higher interest rate environment. Multiples should be lower than what we've been accustomed to, but we don't necessarily need to look at rock bottom kind of levels. And the levels even frankly, that we had back in the 70s. So we have built a model that uses PCE, core PCE, 10-year yields, and Fed funds, uh, really using the Fed fund effective rate to forecast where the trailing average PE for the S&P 500 should be at year-end 2022 and year-end 2023. And that data data is based on data going back into the 70s, so we really are able to capture the intense inflationary pressures and aggressive Fed back from that time period. Um, generally, what we have found every time we update this model is that we're looking at a 16 times PE for the end of this year and an implied PE a little north of 22 times, 21 times that year in 2023. Current version of that model we've got right now has the Fed SEP projections on, on PCE and core PCE. We did, for the sake of argument, just plug in 5.25% on the Fed at year end uh, for this year and 45 for this year, so kind of baking in the idea of higher terminal and a few uh, corrective cuts that Jason mentioned at the end of last year. And then we also baked in a 10-year yield of around 4.25 for the end of this year and 4% for the end of this year. And we're still coming up with 16 times um, and around 22 times at the end of next year. So, you know, to the idea that Jason mentioned that a lot of this had already been baked into the markets, um, we had been running that model on consensus economic and, and Fed assumptions for quite some time. And really the data is just not changing that much. Uh, So let me just wrap up with the midterm elections. Um, We've done a lot of work here over the past few months. We did put out a survival guide yesterday. um, And really what we said is if you're looking at it from today's perspective, um, we think the midterms are a modest positive for stocks if Republicans take back the House only, but it's a bigger positive for the market if Republicans take back control of both chambers. So why only a modest positive if Republicans just take the House? Well, frankly, I think a lot of this is priced in. Um, what we saw at the mid, at the high recently off the mid-October low is that we were up about 9%. Your typical midterm bounce is about 7%. And we also had been seeing big shifts in polling data and betting market data really since late August. And we think that's really responsible for a lot of that move off the October low. So why a more constructive view if Republicans take back both chambers? Well, even though the data has been improving for the Senate, it's generally been viewed as a higher risk type event, lower odds than what uh, the market participants were seeing in terms of taking back the House. Um, But we do think also that if you have a really big Republican wave today, that it's going to be seen as giving strong momentum for Republicans heading into the presidential race in 2024. There is also some precedence for U.S. equities to see a stronger midterm bounce than what has already occurred. Now, what's interesting is that 2022 in the S&P 500 is tracking with a 76% correlation against 2002, which was also a midterm year, also a year of messy normalization post a big crisis um, and initial rebound. And what we saw back in 2002 was that the S&P rallied back more than 20% off its pre-election day low through late November, and then it started to fall sharply again. So we'll see if that correlation continues to hold up. Now, under either scenario, I do think investors will find a reason to be optimistic about 2023 if Republicans take back something, as the S&P 500 does tend to rise 13 to 14% on average 
in years that have a Democratic president and a split or Republican Congress. I'm also, frankly, going to be watching very closely what happens with consumer sentiment, which has been tracking much lower for Republicans than Democrats in the University of Michigan survey. I wonder if we'll start to see Republicans, uh, you know, kind of feeling better post-election, assuming they do well today. We did look back at 2020 and found that Democratic sentiment was very low in the Michigan survey. It rallied back heading into that election and after when Biden uh, won the presidency back. And that ended up carrying consumer sentiment broadly, even though Republican sentiment was falling at the same time. Um, you know, in terms of sector implications, I think this is really more about the broad market impact than sectors, but our analysts have highlighted communication services, energy, industrials, as well as certain industries like biotech and regional banks um, that could benefit um, from Republicans taking back some control. And with that's it from me, Jason. I'll pass the call back over to you. Okay, great. Thank you very much. Um, thanks, everybody, for joining this edition of Macro Minutes. Um, while terminal rates have been edging higher, um, especially in North America, you know, the market uh, might take some solace in having a better grasp of where uh, terminal rates uh, might end. Uh, but the thing I'm worried about um, is that the uh, growth downturn in 2023, um, you know, could be larger than what consensus expects, uh, maybe uh, prevent uh, risk assets from uh, rising uh, significantly. And, you know, everyone is bearish on fixed income at the moment, but I don't see uh, 2023 shaping up to be um, a poor year for uh, bond returns. Um, so we'll address these topics and more on future Macro Ministers. This content is based on information available at the time it was recorded and is for informational purposes only. It is not an offer to buy or sell or a solicitation, and no recommendations are implied. It is outside the scope of this communication to consider whether it is suitable for you and your financial objectives.